Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, we're going to head off to the River Cree Resort and Casino Hotline, the River Cree Resort and Casino Excitement. Bet on it. And welcome to the show, our Oilers Now headliner for Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's the best you've ever tasted. Search for Wilhock, W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. We welcome back to the show, Hart Levine from Puckpedia. Hello, Hart. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good. You're down in Southern California, and uh, the L.A. Kings have been busy the last couple days, haven't they? Yeah, the, the, usually we, we kind of see maybe a move between rounds and then wait till the end of the finals. But I think, um, yeah, it seems like the action's really picking up now. All right, so let's uh, this, discuss this three-way deal. Uh, you've, you've got the numbers crunched on this. Uh, Cal Peterson and Sean Walker, uh, Helge Grands get moved uh, from Los Angeles. Uh, the Kings retain a portion of Provorov's deal, and then they get a couple minor leaguers. Hayden Hodson, who I didn't mind, actually, to be honest with you, and Kevin Connaughton, who's from Edmonton. His dad, Bill, at one time worked, uh, uh, I believe, for Daryl Cates. Uh, the Flyers get Ivan Provorov and uh, or move Ivan Provorov out uh, to Columbus. Uh, Walker and Cal Peterson end up uh, going to the... Uh, uh, to the Philadelphia Flyers and the Columbus Blue Jackets end up getting Ivan Provorov. Why, from your perspective, and as a guy who watches the cap closely through Puckpedia, what sort of stuck out in your mind about this trade? Well, from the cap perspective, I'm really interested in when teams are doing cap dump, basically trying to get rid of players that have significantly negative values. So obviously in this trade, that's the Cal Peterson part. I mean, Sean Walker, you, you might think he's a little overpaid for a third-pairing D, but we kind of say, you know, he's roughly, his, his cap is roughly equal to what he's worth, so he's kind of neutral value or so. Then the real dump was Cal Peterson. Um, and so they cleared out his $5 million and they took on $2 million uh, pro Rob, so they cleared $3 million of, of the uh, basically useless cap it to them because they couldn't play Cal Peterson, um, you know, if, based on how he played last year. That, that wouldn't, he wouldn't have been in their plan. So I look at that compared to other trades where teams are, were trying to clear out cap space and where the player really didn't have much value. Um, and I came across a few recent ones. One I think would be interesting to you is the Zach Cassian trade. And they're actually pretty similar. So on Cassian's deal, you know, they gave up, or he had $3.2 million for two years, and they they moved back three spots in the first at the end of the first round, which I don't think has much of an impact on the value. So really, they traded a future second and a future third, right. and they cleared $3.2 million. And L.A., they cleared, you know, $3 million, so about the same for two years, and they gave a second, um, and they gave a, a third-pairing defenseman, and they gave Helge Grant, who's kind of a B prospect. So I guess depending on how you like think of Walker and how you think of Grant, that's either I think worst case it's about the same value that the Oilers gave up, but um, you know you could say that maybe they gave up more to to move three million than what the Oilers did last year. 
Hmm. Were there any other sort of comparables that you had for other teams that made uh, uh, salary dump deals over the last year? Yeah, the Zaitsev trade, um, Ottawa got rid of him to Chicago. He had $4.5 million left for two full seasons plus the end of last season, so over two seasons. And they only got a second and a future fourth. So, uh, Chicago. So, I think Ottawa kind of paid the cheapest price. They got rid of more cap it for longer. And, you know, all these deals, they include a second-round pick, but the only other asset they gave up was a fourth. So, that seemed like sort of the best deal for the team um, getting rid of the cap it. And then kind of the worst one out of the, the group I looked at was Patrick Nemeth. When he went from the Rangers to the Coyotes last summer, he had $2.5 million left for two years, so, like, less than Cassian. But they gave up two future seconds. So, the Oilers gave up a, a future second and a third for $3.2 million and air, and um, the Rangers ditched less salary and had to give two seconds. So I think that seemed like the highest price paid to to get rid of the, the money. Zaitsev seemed like the lowest price paid. And then, you know, the Cassian and, and Cal Peterson, those are pretty close of maybe the Oilers paying slightly less to ditch the salary. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Frank was on yesterday, Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff, and he said, I know Gary Bettman said, look, right now it's looking like a $1 million increase in the cap to 83.5, but Frank still sort of suggested that doesn't mean that because I think there's, what, $85 million left that the players owe the owners in terms of uh, escrow? And that's going to elapse at some point during the season that maybe they can increase the cap. Because it's going to, I mean, maybe you can explain to our listeners how significant the difference between an $83.5 million cap and, say, an $86 million cap would be to some organizations, including the one right here in this city. Oh, yeah. I mean, it would make a massive impact. I mean, like you could say at least half the league, if not more, um, would would be utilizing that extra space. Um, we saw this last season. Over half the league used LTIR at one point, meaning they exceeded the cap. Um, you know, we had um, a, a large number of teams, almost half the league, to have performance bonus overages due to that, which will hit this coming season. So it would make a massive impact. And really, I mean, Though if it, we know that the cap is going to be in a year from now, it's going to be you know let's say high 80s, close to 90, just because of where revenues are. So if you don't increase it by more this year, you're really just like making this UFA class or this free agent class you know suffer, and then the the class next season kind of hit the lottery. Um, we saw that with the NBA a number of years ago after a TV deal, the the, the free agent class the year after the seller cap jumped significantly, they had massive contracts where bench players were getting more than stars. And I don't think it's, you know, as from a league perspective, it, you know, I don't think that's good for sort of the, the how talent gets moved around and how players are compensated from the PA perspective as well. You know, why should one group of free agents hit the lottery and the other team be really squeezed? It makes a lot of sense to smooth that out. The other reason why it makes a little bit of sense to increase it more than a million is depending on where revenues for this coming season end up, you know, the players are entitled to 50% of compensa- uh, of revenue as compensation. If, let's say, revenues are quite high this coming season, the escrow debt is paid off, and the players, but because the cap is so low, the players' share is actually less than 50%. There's a mechanism where the owners actually have to cut a check to all the players to, to get them the extra money to get to 50%. Now, I think that's unlikely to happen, even right. with just a $1 million cap. But that is something for the league to consider. You know, why would we even put that into play that's obviously not something that we want to do and i know that they're getting a lot of pressure from 
you know, the PA, they're getting, and, and Gary's getting pressure from uh, some of the league owners as well and, and GMs and everything. So, you know, I, I think it's typical negotiating. He's putting it out there that it's not going to go up and he's got to receive an offer that's worth it for him. I do know from talking to some agents that, if, that there is another meeting scheduled later this week um, at the cup final between um, the NHL and the PA to, with, with this on the agenda. So, you know, again, I, I would, I don't know how to handicap it, but I wouldn't say it was for sure at 1 million. I think they're, to Frank's point, it sounds like there's still discussions and, and who knows what could be worked out. Yeah, we're joined right now by Art Levine. And, uh, he's got Puck PD. He's in contact with a bunch of uh, the agents around the league. He's even got a little bit of a – you have like an agent pool or you, you show wh- which each of the respective agencies actually – let me ask you a question. It, Brian Lawton left Octagon's agency to become the general manager of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Okay? Is it worth a guy leaving an agency to go be an assistant GM for a team? That's, and we'll say we'll say three twenty five or in that range three hundred to three twenty five sort of is a you know a conservative estimate for an AGM. Does that make sense for a lot of the high profile agents, or are they killing it way beyond that? Yeah, I think for the high profile agents, and you can if you go on the website and, and click at agents, we have an agent leaderboard, and you can see by either agent or agency how much money they have under management. Uh, total or by cap it and you know the typical commission is about three percent so you could take uh, an agent's um, AAV or cap it that they have under management and multiply by three percent and that's probably the commission that they're going to get this year just on the player contracts not to mention endorsements and stuff so right. I think for for the high agents like you know you don't often hear like the super high profile agents being linked to the jobs you hear like very successful ones like a, a can't use or a bill veto like very successful ones but not at the super super high end i mean you look at we got paperson and craig oster they have over a billion dollars under management right now like i don't see how a team could kind of pay to make it worth their while but yeah to to the the other agents i you know i think to be a gm it makes sense for an agm that's worth a little tricky i mean I, i'm not sure if part of this question comes from what just happened in pittsburgh but you know a former agent um alex shawl he had an agency and he got hired to be the assistant gm under hextall yeah. um and he was there two years and now a new regime comes in and and he's out and you know he had his own agency um his agency was taken over by uh, someone he had working with him and that subsequently then merged into to um, Kurt Overhart's agency. So, like, where he came from is gone, and now he doesn't have that job anymore. So that is a huge risk that agents face, and certainly when that news broke, the sort of agent uh, pipeline was, was talking about how, you know, guys have to be careful if they're going to make that jump, because that is that is a major risk. And we should qualify 3% on the player's salary uh, when it comes to endorsements and, uh, you know, memorabilia signings and that sort of thing. I think those guys get like 20% on that, don't they? 15 to 20 points on that kind of stuff. Yeah, I've heard that 20% is kind of the average, depending on what kind yeah. of deal. Yeah, yeah. And for some guys, that's maybe not significant, but when you get a guy like a, a Connor McDavid, I mean, that's, there's significant endorsement money as well. Absolutely. We're joined by Hart Levine. All right, Hart. Uh, so, interesting with the Philadelphia Flyers. I don't know if you just heard Brian Lawton. He goes, it's a very atypical Flyers trade and perhaps a sign of things to come because Philadelphia has traditionally been a team that's spent. But if they're committed to understanding that they need to maybe go the Chicago route for a couple of years, that might take one of the spenders out of, you know, you know what I'm saying, in terms of potential destinations for UFAs and that sort of thing. 
Yeah, I think it definitely takes a UFA destination, but I would say that there's a couple types of teams that are sort of racing to the bottom. Some, um, you know, like in Arizona, they're trying to be bad and not spend money. But there's other teams, like I would think of Philadelphia, um, they can be bad, but they have money to spend, and so they can spend it by taking on bad contracts and getting more assets for it, right? Like I think teams where the you know financially they can afford it, just because you're trying to be bad doesn't mean you should let that cap space sit there. Like you know Buffalo, for example, they've barely been at the four the last couple of years, and you know that's just those are not to say that they should be using it to spend on good players that they like, but you could take on some bad contracts for the, and for the cost of money, you can get more assets. So I would be, you know, that's what Philadelphia did in Cal, in the Cal Peterson trade. Could they have just traded Provorov and, and retained some salary and direct to Columbus? There's, there's probably a deal to be made there, but they got these extra assets, you know, probably the extra second and, and the prospect by taking on Peterson. Um, and I think that's, that's what you would expect. Like they'll, so moving out um, players who have some positive value, and I could see them using their financial abilities to take on uh, other other teams' problems um, because for the cost of just cash, they can um, they can get some more assets. The one guy that's done a maximize that has been Bill Guerin as GM of the Minnesota Wild. Like, he works himself in as a third party on a bunch of different deals. Uh, no question about it. All right, let's get to a couple Oilers, or three Oilers RFAs. Uh, so, we expect to jump next season in the cap. We'll see if it gets graduated this year or if it's a significant jump next year. If that's the case, if you were Jeff Jackson, would you just do a one-year bridge for Evan Bouchard? Um, I think that would be pretty tempting. Yeah, um, you'd be you'd be in an uh, environment where the cap is like 10% higher than it was last year potentially, and now you'd have arbitration rights. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be pretty tempting to do. Uh, what do you think is going to transpire for Ryan McLeod? He now has arbitration rights. Yeah, I mean, I think after playing on the the one year deal for not a lot of money this last year, I think you know I would think that he's hoping to get a little bit longer than one year and start to, to put some money in his his pocket. I mean, if you look at some guys who might be comparable to Ryan McLeod that signed um, last summer, you know, you could be looking at a, a Barrett Hayton with two times one point seven seven five, maybe a Capo Caco. I, I know he's got a bigger name, but their staff kind of in their platform years were similar, and that was two times two point one. Um, you know, you could maybe look up Lundstrom. at Brianna, but. 2.9, but that's a little high. And then Lundstrom on the low end, yeah, 1.8. But, I mean, I think there's an argument that he's above Lundstrom, which is his performance. So, you know, I think on a two-year deal, you're looking 1.8 to, you know, 2.25 kind of thing, depending on, on where it goes. And I and I wonder, just considering last year, if that's not a guy that the Oilers, like, kind of squeeze every last dollar out of. Because he did... He, you know, he, did them you know solid. He, he didn't have to take that. Yeah, he didn't have to take that deal. I mean, his option was to not play, which I don't think that was a great option for either side. But yeah, he he worked with the Oilers, so I don't think that's the guy that they're going to completely squeeze like to the last dollar. And Hart, one final one for you, Clem Costin. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting if you look at Costin and McLeod. Actually, they're they're points per game and goals per game. They're not. They're, they're pretty similar, right? But I just think with. McLeod has more of a, a track record and, you know, higher pedigree over the last couple of years. The cost that I think you're looking more kind of at the high end being a Lundestrom at 1.8. Um, and you're looking more on a two-year deal and you're looking more like a Blake Lazat at 1.675. 
Uh, you got like a Zadina was 1.825 and a Tippett and a Louis de Renin at 1.5. So I think on a two-year deal, he's probably in that, you know, you would think he's probably in the 1.5 to 1.8 range, but I don't know if the Oilers are willing to pay that, which then, you know, gets you to the standoff. If they don't, if they can't get a deal where the Oilers like it at a much lower number, you know, do they say we're not going to qualify you then because we don't want to be stuck with an arbitration award and then going to the open market, what kind of a deal does Costa get? And so that's kind of that game of, of chicken or standoff you see with, with players where the team might not want to potentially be stuck with an arbitration award and they're trying to push them to take a, a lower deal or with a threat of being cut loose. And, you know, oftentimes when a guy doesn't get qualified, based on his numbers, you would think he get he would get paid more. But when he actually goes and resigns, there's like a little bit of a, I don't know if it's like a mark on them, and they seem to sign for a little bit less than market value. And that's kind of what happened uh, with, uh, what's his face, Josh Archibald. He didn't get qualified. Yeah, there's a, bit, a, t- a deal on him. Hey, uh, how do people follow your heart? Go to the website, puckpedia.com, or on Twitter, at puckpedia. Awesome stuff. Thanks a lot, Hart. Thanks. 151 in Edmonton Royal Pizza, Pizza Pass, and so much more. Get their new boneless wings. Eight for $13.95, 16 for $25.95. You can visit royalpizza.ca. Stoffer recommendation at Royal Pizza's a Mediterranean chicken. Brennan's a big fan of the Texan. It's 151 in Edmonton. Back with this day in Oilers history. It was a crappy one when we return on Oilers now. Cactus Jack texting us saying that uh, White's having a heart. Levine on the show, smart guy from Puckpedia. We are on a list of Oilers history for New West Travel, serving travelers since 1979. Book your vacation today at newwesttravel.com. Here's Brendan Escott. Yeah, 2006, Cam Ward, a 25-save shutout in Game 2 of the Stanley Cup Final, the Carolina Hurricanes beating the Oilers 5-0 in Raleigh. Frank Caberlet and Matt Cullen each had three-point nights to give the Hurricanes a 2-0 series lead. I watched that game. Uh, we did our show over at Overtime Brother and Taproom on 110th. And uh, Craig was there with me, Loops, and man, oh man, we were bummed out. That was the one that, you know what, the injury obviously was critical to Rollison in game number one, but the Oilers' performance in game two, and they got frustrated and they made it too easy. And that was the only game that really the Oilers didn't show up for. They were in every other game. And, uh, and we can look back to game one, but I think game two, not having a stronger showing in that game, ultimately cost the orders a series. Uh, tomorrow, joining us, Cam Moon in studio from uh, 12.30 till 1.30. We will also have John Shannon for Legacy Heating and Cooling. What do we got shaking with Reed Wilkins from Inside Sports Night? You will hear from NHL Hockey on Rogers analyst Kelly Rudy, uh, former Florida Panthers center Stu Barnes, and you'll meet the man behind the Elam ending. This is Nick Elam's idea that's being used in the Canadian Elite Basketball League so that uh, there's not a bunch of fouling at the end of these games. It's a unique concept. Reed will tell you about it tonight. All right, there you go. Up next, the Global News Weather Traffic update with Randy Kilburn, followed by Rob Breckenridge from 2 to 3, then Chelsea on Chad with Chelsea Bird from 3 to 6. Back at you tomorrow. Have a wonderful Wednesday.